0: To Big Mood for the Mood. I am your host, Danny M. Lavery. And with me in the studio this week is Kate Duffy, a New York licensed clinical social worker who has worked as a therapist and clinical supervisor in a variety of settings, including shelters, residential group homes, and outpatient clinics. Kate, uh, welcome to the show.
2: Hi, Danny. So good to be back. Thanks for having me. Uh,
0: I'm so, so glad to have you back. And I'm excited because I feel like a big theme of this week's uh, episode is like topographies of the face. Like, <laughs> Just get a lot more stuff about like skin conditions and skin and like holes and the possibility of more holes. Um, And I think that's (laughs) an unusual theme. Usually the themes run more along the lines of like your mother's difficult.
2: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, there's there's the biggest organ uh, in the body. There's orifices, there's holes of all different varieties and and also relationships while we're at it. Right. No, if anything, I think I've been really neglecting skin conditions on this show, because as you say, it is the the biggest
0: organ that we have to contend with. And um, so I'm glad to finally be making up for the lost time.
2: I'm really glad that that's actually correct, because when it was coming out of my mouth when I was saying that's the biggest organ for a second, I was like, that's wrong. You were incorrect. It does
0: slightly have the ring of, <laughs> of maybe not quite an old wives tale, but the sort of thing that you hear someone say really confidently and you later look up and it's not at all true.
2: Yeah, exactly. I probably like absorbed that through osmosis as a child, and then I'm now, you know, 31, and I'm like that. Nope. mm -mm, I, I messed up. Where are we now, by the way, on the whole? uh, Most of the vitamins in bread or
0: potatoes are in the skin or the crust. Like, was that (laughs) totally made up? Um, Did we ever
2: manage to redeem part of that story? I think the jury's still out on that one. I, I tend to still believe that entirely. Just, I think, purely out of being stubborn, but. I am like a little finicky sometimes about like potato skin in certain arenas, but most of the time, yeah, it's the nutrition. And certainly I am an apple skin evangelist and I will never take it off. Yeah.
0: Well, the, the I'll, I'll tell you this a quick Google to healthyeating.sfgate.com <laughs> says a potato skin contains significant nutrients, but so does the flesh. So, wow, there you have it. You um, learn something new every day. The p- potato's good from inside out. <laughs> Would you please read our first letter while I try to read a little bit more about the potato?
2: Absolutely. The subject of this letter is Secure in My Insecurities. My best friend keeps offering advice that she thinks will fix my insecurities. I've struggled with acne since the fifth grade. I'm going into my senior year now, and just recently my doctor prescribed Accutane. When I told my best friend, she told me my acne was, quote, probably because I touched my face too much. When I confided in her that I've been struggling with my eating habits, she told me that I, quote, didn't look unhealthy. When I told her that I often struggle with feeling attractive, she told me that I, quote, just don't put myself out there. We've been best friends since the second grade, but I've noticed she makes a lot of comments like these when I tell her about issues in my life. She's always been the bossier and more sensitive one, but these traits never bothered me. I think that she's truly trying to help me, but if I were to offer advice to her in that way that she does for me, it would probably end in her crying or yelling at me. I'm tired of having to hide my insecurities around her, but I also don't want to burden her with my self-esteem issues if it's really not something she wants to hear. She's the best friend I've ever had, but sometimes her constant criticism on everything ranging from my driving, my self-consciousness, my social life, and my eating habits are getting tiring. She often gets frustrated with me when I tell her that I don't want to take her advice with fixing my insecurities and that instead I'm just looking for someone to sympathize with me. I'm going off to college in a year, so I'm trying to decide if I should address it or just let it be and slowly move away from our friendship. I know it's not her job to be my therapist, but I'd also like it if she could be a little more understanding at times. I've already worked out what my insecurities are, but she seems to think that I could just fix them if I tried harder. It's not like I just woke up one day and decided to feel self-conscious about something for fun. Should I say something to her, or is it too late? I think
0: I want to start uh, just by saying that potato skins are a rich source of iron uh, and that if you were to actually compare an equal amount of potato skin and potato flesh, say 100 grams of each, uh, 100 grams of the skins has double the amount of seven different nutrients and five times more riboflavin. So I actually think you know potato as a whole is good for you, but potato skin,
2: maybe especially so. Well, if my mother listens to this, she will be really happy to know that um, because she is very into potato skin. Um, I have to say, I was really taken aback when you said that because I had fully like, I was like deep in this letter and I was like, oh, there's no way he's going to talk about potato skin. But you did. And I'm really happy you did.
0: Yeah. Although, frankly, you know, given that this letter writer has already let us know that um, she's sick of hearing uh, like any kind of advice (laughs) about eating habits, we should maybe lay off like eat as much of the potato as you like. I don't think not eating the skins is going to kill you. So, you know, um, no, don't don't. Don't feel like we're adding to your plate, letter writer.
2: No, eat the potato, don't eat the potato, eat part of the potato. It's all fine.
0: Yeah, yeah. Where did you find yourself sort of um, landing in this letter? Did it feel like, I really want to help this letter writer find a better way to communicate with her friends? Did it feel maybe more like, I think maybe it's time to let this friendship begin to fade and think about ways to do that uh, healthily? Um, I think it's time for a big fight. Um, where Where did you land on that?
2: You know, I I think the the thing that I just kind of kept coming back to when I was reading this letter is, you know, and and I say this letter writer, um, you know, not in any way to trivialize what you're going through or to minimize it or to patronize you in any way, but you know, I come back to the fact that this letter writer is probably, I'm going to guess, like sixteen to eighteen, mm-hmm. um, you know, they're a teenager, and. So I think for me, I I sort of came to reading this letter and and thinking, like, this is a really young person who is still in high school. um, And this is a friendship that has, you know, been around for, it sounds like, over 10 years. And I think that there is any number of ways that the letter writer could... Go in terms of talking to their friend um, or certainly making the choice to sort of take a step back especially when they do eventually um, go to college next year but I I would I would probably start with this is clearly someone who is important to this person despite you know what is going on in the relationship and the things that are bothering uh, the letter writer about the friend um, and I think it's definitely worth bringing it up uh, before sort of taking the approach of, slowly backing away, which is also, again, a valid option. But I think that you know the, the line that jumped out to me was, she's the best friend I've ever had, but sometimes her constant criticism on everything ranging from my driving to my self-consciousness, my social life, et cetera, is getting tiring. Mm-hmm. Um, and so it sounds like both things are true. It sounds like this is a really important friendship, and this is someone who's really, really important to you and is meaningful to your life. And at the same time, they're doing something that's really hurting you. And so I think that leading with the fact that this is an important friendship, I think starting from a place of having an honest conversation and really telling the friend what's on your mind, um, in my mind, there's no harm starting there. I don't know Mm -hmm. what your thoughts were. Yeah, you know, I think
0: similarly that sentence um, stood out to me. I think the one that stood out even slightly more to me was... uh, I think she's truly trying to help me, but if I were to offer her advice in the same way that she does for me, it would probably end in her crying or yelling at me. Mm, um, yeah. And and so I'm also kind of aware that the letter writer has tried on a couple of it sounds like at least one, probably multiple occasions, has tried to address these like in the moment and then also as a sort of global issue. Like I really would like it if you don't give me advice, and that the friend's response has been, you know, I'm going to keep giving you advice. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, and so, you know, I, I, I would say certainly letter writer, I would not put this in the category of, you know, you really owe it to yourself to like force another big conversation. I think here really the most useful thing you can probably do is to think through how many times have I tried to bring this up with her either at an individual level or as a sort of a bigger, broader pattern? Has she ever listened a little bit? Has it kind of all been the exact same level of dismissal? Were there any circumstances where I felt like she kind of opened up to the possibility in a a moment? Um, And if so, you know, do I think I can try to recreate some of those conditions? And does it sound good to me to try to bring them up? But if as you reflect on this, you just feel like it's never gone well. She's never backed off. I don't think she's going to back off again. And you just feel like some poignancy, but mostly relief at the thought of letting things sort of naturally fade over the next year before you go to college. Absolutely, you you can do that. You know, I, I think it's always lovely to try to look for ways to redress something or reconnect with someone if it's possible. But I also don't want to suggest that like, man, you've just, you know, it's it's all on you and you just need to keep having these conversations with her.
2: Yeah, absolutely. I, I think that makes a lot of sense. I mean, I, you know, like I said earlier, I think that there are a number of different ways that this could go, which would all be appropriate. And the reason I think I I led with and and am slightly regretting leading with, like, this is a really young person who mm-hmm. is still in high school. I think my point there and, and something that I was kind of thinking of as I was reading through this letter um, a couple times was that there is a very good chance that this is not a lifelong friendship. Mm-hmm. And I and really, that I mean, that's not even specific to the issues in the letter, but the fact of the matter is like you might have a lot of friends that you've known as a child and as a teenager, and when you get older, those friendships might not last, and they also might not be the same. And so i I agree with you, Danny. I mean, I think I think it's worth sort of thinking through because we don't know the full extent of or the specifics of you know how the letter writer has tried to talk to the friend about what's you know what's hurtful but if this is someone who is like you said as is, is you're trying as hard as you can to have a conversation and meet them in the middle and explain you know why this is hurting you and what you want them to do differently or or what isn't working for you and they're just not receptive to that at all and on top of that they're really dismissing what you're telling them and blowing off the things that are really bothering you or minimizing what you're going through and just sort of like throwing advice your way it's also really mm-hmm. reasonable to just say, you know what, this, this might not be a person who I'm going to be best friends with. And that doesn't mean it has to be all or nothing that you're either, you know, best friends or you never speak again. You know, there might also be sort of a middle ground of, you know, maybe I'm going to put a limit on how much time I spend with this person. Maybe I'm going to put a limit on what we talk about and what my boundaries are in terms of what I want to discuss. And it could be that this turns into a friendship where you're happy to hang out with this person every now and then, but you're going to shut down conversations, um, you know, where it just sort of goes into minimizing blaming or, you know, just sort of making you feel really bad about yourself.
0: Right. Yeah. No, I mean, I think the thing that really is going to stick with me is that line about she's always been bossier and more sensitive. Yeah. And part of me just really feels for that friend because that is a, that's not a great combination. That is a combination that often makes intimacy really difficult and and often will drive people away from you, potentially even in ways that she will find really baffling and confusing over the course of her life because people will not always try to stick around and explain why um, if she combines bossiness and sensitivity in that way. So I really, really hope that this is a... Um, quality that she can learn to um, let go of or change or tweak um, as she grows older. But yeah, letter writer, I would say it sounds like you've attempted to raise this with her before. I think you're certainly free to try again. Um, You know, not necessarily in the hopes that it will suddenly be totally different this time. But absolutely, if you wanted to say, I know we've talked about this a few times before. I just want to make it really clear once this has really affected my ability to be close to you. I don't want to necessarily come to you with a lot of complaints and demand that you sit on your hands. Um, But if you can't see your way to like occasionally hearing me say something like, oh, my acne medication is kind of challenging um, without immediately offering me advice, it's just really going to limit our ability to be close. And that would make me really sad. Um, Again, feel really free not to do that. You certainly don't have to, but you can. And if the idea of doing so makes you feel a little bit better, then I would encourage you to do that. Um, You know, I don't think you're asking just just to reassure you, letter writer, you know, you say, I know it's not her job to be my therapist. It doesn't sound like you've been asking her to do that. Again, unless there's something that I'm just totally missing here. And like every day you call her up at six in the morning to say, here's everything I feel anxious and insecure about um, for an hour, you know, then I might have slightly different advice, but I I don't think that that's the case here. And uh, I, I really wish she could just listen to you. I hope she hears you. And if not, you have my full permission to talk to her, you know, a lot less.
2: Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, to your point earlier about sort of the combination of being bossy and sensitive, which is uh, which is definitely a doozy and, and can, you know, certainly inhibit intimacy or make people just feel really uncomfortable being honest. You know, it may also happen that in the, you know, I guess you have another roughly year and change until you go to college, it, it may... It may happen that, you know, maybe you decide after talking to the friend, if it's not really, you know, you don't feel like you're really being heard and you decide to pull away to some degree or to change the structure of your friendship. You know, you're all like, I keep coming back to these people are really young, but I also think that that's important because when you get older and when you go off to college and I'm assuming you're going to probably end up at different schools, it might not happen, but regardless of whether you stay friends or not, I think that this person will probably learn this lesson from other people too. You know, there might there might be other friends already that she has that are frustrated with the same thing. Or when she does eventually go off to college, you know, and meets new people, this might be something that kind of bites her in the butt and that she has to contend with on her own terms at a different time. Um, mm-hmm. So even if you are, you know, trying as hard as you can as a friend of hers for You know, a decade. I'm assuming to lead with kind of love and and say, hey, you know, I care about you and I value our friendship, but this is really not working for me, and this makes me feel really bad. Um, And she's not able to receive that. And you decide, okay, that's it. Like I either don't want to be friends with this person, or I'm drastically reducing how much I'm I'm going to talk to her. You know, this might just be something that she has to come to on her own. And as she gets Mm -hmm. older, she might change. She might have other friendships that either end or maybe totally blow up or just people pull back from her. And she realizes that she does have to do things differently. And I've seen that happen with people. So I don't think that that's totally out of the realm of possibility, especially for a 17 year old. We all, you know, we all change drastically from like late teens through our twenties. So, Uh um, but all that is to say is that I think that there are a lot of different ways that you could approach this that aren't bad, you know, like there's not one right answer but I also really want to make sure that you feel like you have friendships that are meaningful and reciprocal um, and where you don't feel like you're being brushed off or just sort of given like, you know, pat advice that is not really what you're looking for. Yeah. Yeah.
0: And letter writer, you know, my guess is this friendship is not going to be one that's going to go back to best friendship anytime soon. I don't want to rule out the possibility that you may someday be able to return to a certain type of shared closeness. I think that's you know that would be lovely but but probably it is unlikely that you're going to go back to the way things were in the second grade and i just want you to feel a lot of freedom you know over the next couple of months and years depending on either how this conversation goes or just generally as you start to drift apart and go to different colleges you might find on reflection that you really continue to feel like yep that one element really got in the way of our friendship and that makes me sad but i still really love and value the other things that we shared together or you might find that you reflect and you think man, this person was kind of an asshole to me a lot of the time. And so I just want you to feel like prepared and free to potentially change some of the ways that you do look back and reflect on this friendship. None of which is to say you're under some sort of obligation to denounce her or that if you decide to stop being close, you're going to automatically, you know, start thinking of her as a real piece of shit. I just mean that a lot of what you've written here sounds pretty painful and pretty frustrating. And so, um, sometimes we kind of hold on to this person's the best friend I've ever had because we really don't want to acknowledge the level of how much we've been hurt, or we still really want to try to redeem something out of a painful story. Uh, and so I just want to just maybe flag that as a possibility. And that doesn't mean that you were foolish to try to hold on to the friendship for as long as you did, or that none of the good moments that you shared were weren't real. Just that you you might find that some of your assessments of of what that friendship was like and how you might like it to be reflected in future friendships changes. Um, and that would make a great deal of sense to me. Yeah. Do you have anything else for this letter writer before we start to move on to the next?
2: Yeah, I mean, I, I co-sign, you know, everything you just said, and I think that um, the reality is this is really, this is hard. Like, this is a deeply, deeply painful thing. Um, I think oftentimes there can be sort of like the sunk cost theory of, you know, I've been friends with this person for such a long time, and you know, it it seems like it's all encompassing, right? And, and you've given so many years to being friends with this person and the idea of walking away from that or fundamentally changing the way that you relate to this person is really, really difficult to contend with. Um, mm-hmm. And so I think oftentimes there's like this big impulse to just sort of cling to it and sort of couch all the really not great stuff that's happening in the friendship or downright painful or mean or petty things that are happening there bothering you. And, you know, like Danny said, I just want you to feel a lot of freedom to not accept that, you know, like you will make other friends in your life. Um, it sounds like you you have other friends, maybe not not friends who you feel as deep a connection to or have known as long, but you will have other friendships in your life that are really, really meaningful and where you don't Constantly feel uh, like someone is talking down to you or minimizing what you're going through.
1: This podcast is sponsored by RAMP. Are you the decision maker in your company? Consider this for the first time in decades, there's a better option for a corporate card and spend management platform. Meet RAMP, the only corporate card and spend management system designed to help you spend less money If you're a decision maker, adding RAMP could be one of the best decisions you've ever made. And now, get $250 when you join RAMP for free. Just go to RAMP.com slash easy. RAMP.com easy. R-A-M-P easy. Currents issued by Sutton Bank and Celtic Bank members of DIC. Terms and conditions apply.
0: I think that with that, we can move on to our next letter, which also has to do, uh, you know, with like reassessing childhood from from a perspective of years later. So we're sort of like moving ahead in the, in the life cycle, which is really interesting. And um, I'll take this one. The subject is dealing with the past. My older brother sexually abused me when we were children. He's two and a half years older. It started when I was six or seven and lasted until I was about 12. Sometimes he would threaten or force me. Eventually, our father walked in and put a stop to it. I don't know what my father said, but it never happened again. Our father was a single parent, and he never got us into counseling. At one point, he asked me if I wanted to send my brother away, and I told him I didn't want to be responsible for ruining his life. None of us ever really spoke about it again. At some point in my 20s, I convinced myself that I had forgiven my brother since he was a child when this happened, and was likely messed up by the death of our mother. I also think I just didn't want to deal with it. I'm now 42, and my father has been dead for six years. After a lot of therapy, I decided to tell our older half-sister, who grew up in a different state. I've since also told some trusted friends. It's been a relief to not feel like I have to keep this a secret any longer. My sister was stunned and confronted our brother about it. She said he expressed a lot of shame and guilt, but didn't deny it. She also asked him if someone had abused him, and he said no. I haven't spoken to my brother since my sister talked to him about four months ago. He and I have not been exactly close as adults, but I did visit him and his family last year. I don't know what to do now. My brother's wife has no idea. They have two kids, 16 and 13, and I've been so uncertain about interacting with the whole family now that my brother knows I told our sister. I didn't send my niece and nephew birthday presents this year. I don't have any reason to suspect that my brother would harm children as an adult, but little research I've been able to find on sibling sexual abuse suggests that only a small percentage of children who molest other children end up becoming predatory adults. I'm not sure what I want from my brother. Maybe nothing. I think I just don't want to have to pretend anymore that he didn't hurt me when we were kids. But I could use some advice about how to proceed with his wife and children. His kids don't deserve to be ghosted. His wife will eventually wonder why I've pulled back. I think my brother should absolutely tell his wife about this, but I doubt that he will. Should I tell her? And how can I hold any space for my niece and nephew if I plan to avoid being around my brother for the foreseeable future? For what it's worth, my brother texted a few months ago to say that he loves me and he's afraid I'm never going to speak to him again. But that was all he said, and I didn't reply.
2: Hmm.
0: Yeah, so obviously, you know, lots of stuff, big stuff in here. Um, I really, really feel for this letter writer. I think the place that I wanted to start was just to commend the letter writer for saying, I, I think that I really want to figure out what I want from my brother. I think I just know that I don't want to pretend anymore. And I'm I'm thinking about that. Um, I'm also kind of struggling with how do I incorporate other people into my, um, plans or, or processes for the future. But I just think it's a really, really good thing to start with. I don't want to just say what I think other people want to hear. And I don't want to just pretend to be okay because I think that would make things easier for everybody else. Um, I'm really glad to hear that letter writer. I think that's a really good place, um, to start from. So I just think I wanted to begin by commending you for that.
2: Yeah, I I completely agree with that. I mean, this is this is such an incredibly difficult situation and it takes a lot of courage to talk about it period, um, but especially with a family member. Um, you know, and and the reality is you were a child when this happened and you know, you're now an adult and you're revisiting something really awful that happened to you that was completely not your fault. Um, and something that you don't want to just sort of gloss over, um, and it's again, it's totally understandable why you did feel like you just didn't want to deal with it. That that makes a ton of sense to me. It sounds like there was a lot going on um, in the house as a kid. It sounds like you know your mother passed away when you were young, um, and your dad was you know dealing with his own stuff, being a single parent and being uh, ill-equipped to handle a situation like this. So it's perfectly understandable that you did not want to touch it, basically. Mm-hmm. And I, I just want to say, you know, myself as well, that I think it's really wonderful that you are now in a place where you feel like you can talk about it to some degree. Um, it sounds like with a therapist, you've been talking about it. Um, sharing that with your sister is, you know, a really courageous thing to do. And, you know, the steps that come after that are hard on their own. Um, and, and like with the previous letter, too, there's no exact right answer of, of you know what to do or what steps to take. Um, there's a lot of different roads that you could go down. Yeah.
0: Yeah. And I think, you know, letter writer, when I, when I think about the sort of first opportunity that you were given by an adult in your life to talk about the abuse, it was pretty um, sort of like it, it began by being sort of closed off. It was just your father asked you this pretty sudden and abrupt question, which is, do you want me to send your brother away? And without trying to come down really hard on your your father who is also, you know, no longer living. That's a really difficult position to have been put in and I'm sorry that that was the way that he framed it because I think that puts so much of a burden on you that was not centered around like, you know, uh getting you some of the help and the support that you might have needed but like putting you in a position of just deciding like shall your brother be cast out from the family home or not. Um And I can really, really understand how that has affected over the years, your desire to just be okay. Like, nope, I just want to not be responsible for that. Uh, I don't want to ruin anybody's life here. I'm worried that by asking for anything, I will be put in a position to, like, quote unquote, ruin somebody's life. I just want to be, you know, neutral. I don't want to get that kind of question again, maybe. Um, So that's just, you know, again, I'm I'm sure your father was trying, um, but that was not an ideal response in a lot of ways. Um and so I can really appreciate where you've been coming from on this front. So, you know, now you kind of have a new opportunity, and gosh, again, like, I hope you're also able to explore in therapy and with, like, trusted friends and companions, maybe you don't say a lot about what it felt like when your half-sister went and spoke to your brother about um, the abuse that you disclosed to her. I don't know if she did that with your permission, knowledge, consent. I don't know if part of you felt, like, Glad that she went after it herself. I don't know if part of you felt um, surprised or agitated that she took that upon herself without consulting you. I could imagine a number of different responses, but I would just really encourage you to kind of think through, do I have any feelings about that? Like, is part of me appreciative and part of me resentful? Does part of me feel like someone's sticking up for me? That's great. And does part of me feel like she kind of blew up my spot and, and limited some of my options? I really don't know. Um, so I would just encourage you to talk about that with your therapist, reflect on it in private, maybe write some of your thoughts down, think about, is there anything that you would like to go back and say to your sister, whether that be, Hey, actually, thank you. I really wanted you to do that. Or I uh, can appreciate why that felt necessary for you. But in some ways you made my situation, uh, harder and I wish you hadn't, you know, um, does that make sense to you, Kate? Like I, I I don't want to be. I don't want to make assumptions about how the letter writer feels about it, but
2: totally. Yeah. I, I mean, I also kind of was a little unsure about that myself. Um, you know, I mean, clearly you you said your sister was stunned and I, you know, can definitely imagine that, um, and was dealing with her own, you know, feelings and reactions about that. Um, you know, obviously we don't know. I hope the situation was that either you're, you know, well, I hope, I hope your sister did get your active consent to do that. Um, but if if not, I hope that that feels okay for you. And like Danny said, if if it doesn't, or it part, partly does and partly doesn't, you know, you have every right to speak to your sister about that. Um, it doesn't need to be a, a particularly contentious conversation, unless you feel, you know, really hurt by that. But I I think what's what's sticking out to me a lot. I mean, you know, Danny, you mentioned what uh, the dad you know, said to the letter writer when this was revealed, when uh letter writer was, it says 12, you know, and, and I just keep thinking about the fact that in, in all of this, uh, you are kind of the person who is left making these really painful, gigantic decisions. And you are the person who is like burdened with, I mean, first being asked as a 12 year old, if you want to send your brother away, which, you know, regardless of what your brother did as a 12-year-old kid, that is an absolutely astronomical thing to take on. Um, Right. And like, where does away even mean? Well, yeah, that's what I was wondering, too. I'm like, was this, was it like you're going to ship your brother off to uh, some school, to family members, to the military? I mean, like, what was going to happen, you know? And, And we don't know that for sure, but I mean, to be I, I can't even comprehend being a twelve year old who has suffered sexual abuse at the hands of a sibling for you know the better part of six or seven years and and then also being tasked with making a decision like that. I mean, that is just an unbelievable position to put a kid in. And you know, your father is now gone, and you know, you can't yell at him about it. but if you are really angry about that, if that brings up a lot of pain for you, That makes perfect sense. I hope that in therapy you've been able to explore, you know, sort of that adult decision that was put on you um, instead of really being given, like Danny mentioned, the room to grieve what had happened to you and be able to get a lot of support um, and healing around it. And it sounds like that wasn't the case. There wasn't, it didn't sound like there was a lot of accountability. And now you're a 42 year old. And, you know, in addition to dealing with the fallout of this for such a long time, you're now also tasked with the burden of, or it feels like you're tasked with the burden of, you know, my brother's wife and his children have no idea what's happening. His children are teenagers themselves. So they're not adults. Um, They're still under his roof. And, you know, you're kind of left you know keeping all these pieces together and trying to figure out where to go and that's a lot of burden to hold on you know just for you especially when you know you're the person who didn't do this you know you didn't ask for this to be done to you this is not your fault at all you know this was something really horrible that was done to you and you now have to sort of you know take care of everyone else's feelings and mess um so i just want to be you know mindful of that because I really hope no matter what you decide to do that you just have a lot of support, you know, with, I, I, it sounds like you're, I hope you're still in therapy. I really hope that your therapist is someone that you trust and feel, you know, really has your back and can help you work through a lot of this. But I also hope that you have other people in your life too, who you're able to consult with about this and to, you know, get as much support as you possibly can to really like wrap yourself in support right now, because this is an incredibly difficult and painful decision to make.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I I think this is a really useful moment to sort of turn to some of the more practical possibilities. Um, You know, letter writer, I I can really appreciate that addition that you made about you don't have any reason to think that he's harming his kids. And you've like done some research to try to gauge what the likelihoods might be um, that he was causing other people harm. And, And I feel like part of what that was speaking towards was just this unspoken question of like, Do I need to be considering whether I have some sort of obligation to report on the behalf of other hypothetical people, uh, or is it all right, appropriate, ethical kind, um, what have you, to be thinking primarily of myself in this situation? Um, And I would just say, as I have said before to other letter writers— This is absolutely appropriate, healthy, okay, good to think about you and what you need. You have no reason to believe that he is harming anyone. It is not your particular responsibility as somebody that he did abuse to make it your life's duty to, um, like, seek out and and determine whether or not he's hurting anybody else. Um, Your job is to look out for yourself here. Um, So, yeah, I just really, really want to stress that. Like, you do not have to um, add that to your Uh, sort of like list of things weighing you down. Like, do I have to go tell everyone in his social circle or something? No, you don't. So I guess the question for me that I would want the letter writer to sort of sit with is, I can totally appreciate that the kids might have their feelings hurt or feel sad or confused if they stop hearing from you for a while. But it does also sound like um, it's not like you were previously so close that you were visiting or calling like every week that they had this incredibly close relationship with you. So I do think at least between like the pandemic and the fact that you haven't gone to visit them very often, you can give yourself a lot of leeway. Like maybe they will be curious. Maybe your brother's wife will ask questions. But it's not going to be the kind of thing that I think is so urgent that any of them are going to come knocking down your door. I don't think, you know, these... With all love, teenagers can often be really self-absorbed and they have really full <laughs> lives with a lot going on. And so like they might be curious, they might be hurt. I don't mean to suggest like they'll forget you ever existed. Um, just that I, I don't think it's going to like force an answer out of you if you do simply just like go radio silent for a while. Does that seem possible to you?
2: Yeah, absolutely. I, I think that the you know very first uh, order of business needs to be caring for yourself. Because uh, this is a, a lot to take on, and I, I think, like Danny said, you know, it, it sounds like you and your brother have not been particularly close as adults. You know, I, I don't know how often you visit his family, but I don't get the sense that this is, you know, you, you've been over constantly, and uh, your niece and nephew are going to be like, well, where, where did, where did they go? You know, like it, it, I think if you give yourself some time just to sort of really take space from the family and not visit or call or, you know, FaceTime or whatever it is, I think that's perfectly appropriate. I don't think you have to feel bad about that at all. You know, your your job is not to remain in a situation where you are just constantly taking care of all these little things that you've been tasked with. I think your job right now is to really, you know, turn inward to what you need and take care of yourself and understand, you know, the next step that you want to take. And I think I I think what's so difficult. I mean, obviously, like you know, like Danny said, you don't have any reason to believe that your niece and nephew are being harmed. Um, so I, I agree. I don't think it's your responsibility to, you know, report anything or anything like that. But I guess the question is, you know, do you feel at some point that you're going to need to tell his wife or explain? you know, anything to your niece and nephew. Um, and that is a really difficult thing to contend with. You know, I, I would say, you know, focusing on your brother's wife, you have the right to tell her anything that you want. You know, this is not uh, a secret that you need to hold inside. Um, there's also, you know, I I mean, I was wondering, I don't know the answer to this. I mean, there's, there's a chance that she might find out from the sister as well. You Mm -hmm. know, if the sister is already confronted the brother about it I don't think it's completely outside the realm of possibility that she would also you know tell the wife or that the wife would find out um I don't know what your thoughts are about that but I was you know that that seemed like something that could reasonably happen without you even um being involved in that
0: yeah yeah I mean again like I think all all doors are open to you letter writer and so you know You say you're not sure yet what you want from your brother, maybe nothing, but you think you just don't want to pretend anymore. And so I would really start there. And again, like I think it can be useful sometimes to write these things down. But like if you begin from the premise of, I no longer want to pretend that he didn't hurt me when we were kids, what follows from that? And of the things that might follow from that, what feel immediately possible and what feels like I would need time, I would need additional support, I would need additional preparation before I could say any of these things. Um, So you might feel like, Number one, I want to stop pretending. And maybe for a while that just means I don't talk to him. I don't talk to his wife and I don't talk to his kids. And while part of that feels a little sad, I also am just like, I'm not going to worry about what, if anything, he says to them to explain. And if any of them reach out, I might say something brief, but, you know, nonspecific, like, I appreciate you reaching out. I need a little space and time right now. I hope you can respect that. And I care about you. I hope you're well. Um, yeah, You know, that's not necessarily an ideal outcome, but I think people will, can and will, especially with this type of relationship that you've described, can appreciate that. And then, yeah, just really think, like, do you want to encourage him to tell his wife? Do you, as you continue to take this time and space, just think like, no, I have no, I don't care what he does. I don't care if he comes to terms with it or not. I don't care if he shares about it with his wife. I just want to never talk to him again. That would be absolutely fine. Mm -hmm. And whatever possible, like healing and amends and um, you know growth and safety might look like for him, you know, that's for him to worry about, not you. Um, If you decide, you know, I would, I would like to be able to maintain a distant but honest relationship then, you know, you could maybe share your terms with him and he could decide whether or not he was up for that. Um, You never have to tell his wife or kids if you don't want to. You can talk to his wife and kids if you do want to. Um, You should, I think in that case, probably be prepared for a number of different responses, including, again, I'm sorry to say the possibility that they will get angry with you. Mm -hmm. That's not an uncommon experience, but it's also not the only possible reaction. And might not be the one that they give you. And it might be one that you're just like, actually, fine. Like, even if they get mad, as long as I talk about it, that would be okay. Um, all of those options are are within the sort of scope uh, uh, of, of, of choices you might have in front of you. So just really start from, I don't have to do anything right now. I'm allowed to continue not talking to him for a while. I can explore my possible options with my therapist and think through, like, what are some worst-case scenarios and Which ones would I sort of rather move towards and rather move away from? And, you know, hold space for your niece. The question of how can I hold space for my niece and nephew if I plan to avoid being around my brother for the foreseeable future? You know, obviously that's a very tough one. Um, The good news is they're 16 and 13, so even the foreseeable future, you know, in a couple of years they'll both be, if not out of the house, like fairly independent enough that you could potentially at least like stay in loose contact. Um, Although, again, a lot will depend upon how much you all talk about as a family, what happened and whether or not that affects his relationship with his wife. Again, lots and lots of possibilities. None of them put you in the position of deciding whether or not his life is okay or not, or ruined or not, or whether other people want to stay in a relationship with him or not. It sounds like you already have a pretty good grip on that, which I'm relieved to hear. And I think, you know, I'm just sort of curious. And again, letter writer, I want to encourage you to think about this one. You say, I think I just don't want to have to pretend anymore that he didn't hurt me when we were kids. For what it's worth, he texted a few months ago to say he loves me and he's afraid I'm never going to speak to him again. That was all he said and I didn't reply. And I'm just curious, like, I would love you to spend a little time thinking about how did I feel when I read that? Did it make me feel angry? Um, Did it make me feel like he was once again like invading my space? Did it make me feel like he was trying to take away my ability to be angry with him? And that's part of why I wanted to go radio silent. Does part of me feel like that's insincere? Does part of me feel like it's probably sincere and I can appreciate why he feels that way but I just don't care. You know, I can imagine a number of different emotional reactions to that request and um I'm just sort of curious like what do you want to do with that information? Do you want to say thanks but no thanks? Do you want to stay silent? Do you want to tell him actually I would rather not talk to you again? Um do you want to ask him for something else? Um really again like everything's on the table. It's just a question of what you think you might want to ask for, or insist upon, or set a boundary over. Uh, I, I think that might be my last thought on the subject. Do you have any final thoughts um, as the yeah. letter writer kind of thinks about how to proceed?
2: Yeah, I mean, I I totally, I, I, I agree. I mean, I think everything that you said is incredibly useful and, um, you know, could really provide some clarity and comfort right now in, in this, you know, really difficult situation. I mean, I I agree. I mean, I think think the key right now is to give yourself as much space and time as you need. You know, you are not required to do anything right now. Uh, You do not have to talk to anybody about anything. You do not have to share what you don't want to share. You know, I think that this could be a really good time to do some reflection on, you know, where you go from now. And also, like Danny mentioned, what your brother's response brought up for you. You know, I think you should lead with what you say here, which is you don't want to pretend anymore. Um, mm-hmm. And I think that you should listen to that, you know, and, and not pretending anymore, again, doesn't mean that you have to, you know, take out a billboard and write what happened to you or that you have to confront, you know, everyone in your life who's, who's hurt you or you have to share things with your niece and nephew or your sister-in-law. Um, you don't have to do any of that. You know, you can you not pretend and stay silent um you cannot pretend and speak out about it you could not pretend and you know never speak to your brother again or maybe not speak to him now and try to have a relationship later if that feels okay to you there are like a million different ways that you can handle this and they're not wrong um you know but i think this is a, a really important time for you to focus in on what you need um hmm. and what you need right now is to not keep this inside and to not have to just you know, keep going with the status quo as if this didn't happen because it did happen and it's painful and it's shitty and it's not your fault Um, and you didn't deserve any of it. You didn't deserve the abuse and you didn't deserve the fallout from the abuse. You didn't deserve your father's reaction to it. Um, You know, none of that is your fault. And I, you know, my final thought is just that I'm sending you a really big hug and, Mm -hmm. you know, this is really hard and I just really hope that you get as much support um, from everyone in your life that you possibly feel comfortable um, expressing any of this to, you know, and and just lead with what you need. Yep.
0: Again, letter writer, I can imagine having a number of different reactions to your brother's last um, message, but I hope you just know if he shares that his fear is that you might never speak to him again and your reaction to that is, wow, that actually really reminds me that as sad as that might be, uh, my hope, is, my fear is that I do talk to you again you know, prioritize yeah. your own needs. Uh, this is not a case where, you know, again, I, I really would like to um, uh, believe in his sincerity and and hope that he really, truly is deeply sorry and and deeply hopes he can someday have some sort of contact or relationship with you. But even within, like, even if I do take those premises on 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 faith, it would still be okay for him if he just had to live with. I wanted to make amends. I'm deeply sorry and she never wants to talk to me again, and I have to find another way to continue to make a living amends, living a different kind of life, um, not causing that same harm, and, and figuring out how to live with the reality of what I've done, and I can't change. That would still be possible for him. He could still find hope and meaning and joy in life. Um, I can't guarantee that he would be able to keep all of the relationships that he wants to keep, but I do know that it does not necessarily have to mean being sent out of you know human society being sent away from all possibility of like love or affection so just don't let that kind of hold you back if you worry like once again it's my responsibility to make sure he doesn't get emotionally sent away yeah Would it cheer you up if I were to read an update from the letter writer who a uh, couple of weeks ago was wondering uh, if they should tell on their colleagues who were thinking about trying to um, feed one of their oh supervisors peanuts
2: that they thought she might be allergic to? Danny, I have, I'm not even kidding you. I've been thinking about that letter for weeks. So, yes. Fantastic. Please, I'm fantastic. Yeah, please, please update me.
0: I, I will. And just, you know, good news no one's dead, everyone's okay, alive.
2: That's good. I shouldn't have said that so gleefully because I'm like, wait a minute. I get it. It was (laughs) a a very,
0: you know, curious situation. (laughs) Thanks for answering my question. The papers that we have to sign are incident reports, which are investigations into appeals that our clients' lawyers file when they want to contest their results since we assess and issue licenses for an industry with government standards. So basically, if their lawyers can find some loophole to get their client reinstated or cast out on our results and force a reevaluation, the company makes the employees involved sign a report saying they were at fault. And this supervisor writes them up so that other teams get the blame and her team doesn't. No one's ever gotten fired or into legal trouble or anything. It's basically just supposed to be a paper trail for complaints. Very long and written in legalese. so the way she tries to get us to sign them without reading them is either just bringing us the last page or bringing us the report flipped to the last page and says she doesn't have time to stand around waiting for us to read it, that we won't understand it, trying to make us feel like we're paranoid or overreacting if we try to read it, etc. I didn't want to make my letter too long with boring work details, but sorry for the confusion. In her position of power, and knowing that we'll get into more trouble if we push back, she can often peer pressure people into doing things they know better than to do. Obviously, this behavior doesn't justify possibly triggering an allergic reaction, but it's one of the reasons she's disliked. You're both right in that the best solution is probably finding another job. Whew, yeah. Um, man, I um, <laughs> it <sure> appreciate is. <laughs> it once again. Like, this is a sensible-sounding letter writer, um, but I also— Hope and imagine that potentially, like, if you were to go to a different supervisor and say, you know, somebody is trying to get people to sign things without reading them, and then when they ask to read them, says there's no time. That's uh, that's bad. Yeah, good you know, Lord. that's bad for the company. That's that's often illegal. Um, so there might be a potential source of redress there, especially if people went like as a group and said like, we need to make sure the supervisor stops telling people sign this without reading it. And when they ask to read it, say, no, you can't like that is a specific actionable complaint. You can hopefully kick up the chain. I hope you do. I think it would probably be easier to get her in trouble that way than trying to sneak her some peanuts. Um, But I also really understand if you're just like, I want nothing to do with any of this. It's low stakes, but annoying. And I'm just going to keep my head down and get out of here. Both of those would be fine. Just no peanuts.
2: Yeah, please. uh, If anyone is listening, considering giving someone a food they're allergic to, don't do that. Um, But also, (laughs) yeah, I, I, I think you need a new job. Um, I think so, but too, I also I also luck. think that you should probably uh, tell someone because uh, yeah, you should you should uh, read things before you sign them.
0: I mean, that's the other thing is like <laughs> if she's just like there's no time. A great response to that is there needs to be time. I don't sign things without read. Like you can definitely just on an individual level uh call her on that nonsense it's, just, it's um,
2: comical to me because i'm like is someone holding a gun to her head like what where what's the scenario where there's no time
0: it's just amazing too like especially i don't it, it's not quite clear to me if there are many lawyers at the company if they just work regularly with lawyers but regardless like if there's lots of lawyers uh you know around grab one and be like hey someone's trying to get me to sign something without reading it is that legal <laughs> um and you'll hopefully get a little uh, a little help
2: yeah i think that'll probably shut that down real quick
0: we hope. Kate, thank you so, so much for joining us on the show today and helping people with their skins and faces and, and peanuts and so on. Um, oh, wow. I, thank I, you. as always,
2: deeply appreciate your advice. Thank you. It's been a real pleasure. And if you have any more letters about skin or uh, facial piercings... You're my skin guy from now on. I'm a skin guy. Call me.
0: And here's a preview of our Slate Plus episode coming this Friday. Letter writer, you say, I wouldn't have agreed to let them move in with me if I'd known they were serious about this piercing, and I would have even considered breaking up with them. You also say that at one point, you know, hey, if you want to break up with me over this, I totally get it, even though I hope you don't. And, you know, again, letter writer, none of this has to mean that either of you is a bad person. And certainly there are plenty of ways to find common ground here if that's what you both want. But you also might find as you have these conversations that your partner just like really chafes at your you know expectations and you feel incredibly guilty and like there's something wrong with you for not being okay with something that a lot of other people would be okay with and i would just like to remind you that if as you have these conversations your overwhelming feeling is man my partner is super annoyed about my ocd and my phobias and is just like maybe sometimes gonna do what i ask but is gonna do it in a really like eye-rolling or frustrated way that makes me feel terrible i hope you will break up with your partner then To listen to the rest of that conversation, join Slate Plus now at slate.com forward slash mood.
1: Step into the world of power, loyalty, and luck. I'm going to make him an offer he can't refuse. With family, cannolis, and spins mean everything. Now, you want to get mixed up in the family business. Introducing The Godfather at chompacasino.com. Test your luck in the shadowy world of The Godfather slot. Someday.